Hi, welcome to this week's episode of Listen In with Shamika Pickett, Brandon Green, and Daniel Hill. Congratulations on the upcoming book. Absolutely, man. Super proud of you. Thank you. That's no small thing. So the book comes out September 1st. And so today we're going to talk to Daniel a little bit about his journey um, to some of the things that he's learned and shares in the book. For some of you, those of you who may not know, um, the book that precedes White Lies is a book called White Awake. So is it fair to say that this is a continuation mm-hmm. of the conversation started yeah, in White Awake? Sure. Yeah, right. Cool, good. But before we jump into that, I want to thank you all for listening. We've had so much fun. Um preparing for and recording the first four episodes. This is episode five, and it's a really good stopping point for us to ask you all to send in some questions and some comments. Email us at hello at listeninpodcast.com. Tell us what you think about the podcast so far. Tell us which things from the first four episodes resonate with you and ask questions um, or even recommend topics that you'd like to see us cover on in future mm-hmm. episodes. Yeah. Again, that email address is hello at listeninpodcast.com. All right, so let's just jump right in. White Lies comes out again on September 1st. <clears throat> this is the second book that you've written about whiteness and white people's journey to mm-hmm. racial awakening. Mm-hmm. What started you on this journey and what prompted you to write this book and the preceding one? Uh, thanks. That's, that's why I even you guys are so kind to like affirm this, but it's still I still feel sheepish with it coming out. It's just every, every step of the way, it feels uh, tenuous a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. So if I go back, you know, so... I'm 47 now. Our church is 17 and a half years old. Um, when when we started River City in January of 2003, um, I had been a few years in the racial awakening journey, but there was still so far to go. Um, and so I was desperately looking for resources. Brandon, you were around back then. You yeah, remember yeah. this. We were both young bucks back then. And uh, <laughs> um, I remember in the Christian bookstore section, there actually were Christian bookstores then, um, the only books that were there on race and racial reconciliation were all written by white Christian men. Mm-hmm. And I just even remember back then feeling like that was really odd, you know, that that kind of my social profile would be writing to it when, you know, to some degree I could understand why we're speaking to other white people on this stuff. But so I actually made a vow to God that I would never write a book on race. I, you broke your vow? I know. <laughs> not, not a very smart thing to do. You make a promise to God. Yeah. So yeah. I really thought that would be the course of it. And so... Um, that was always my intention. So even as we did this stuff at River City, I never, it never even crossed my mind to like try to put principles down or kind of share these things with other kind of people. And then it was probably, I don't know when this would have been six, seven, eight, nine years into the River City journey. And, you know, there became some kind of key mentors of our church. You remember this, you know, one of the primary ones who became a spiritual mother was Dr. Brenda Salt McNeil. Yeah. Um, but some others who they were doing a lot of work, particularly in white Christian spaces around this. So they started pulling me in. Um, which kind of felt a little weird about that, but uh, you know, you, you were part of that. No, no, that's good. Like, it, it, make sure to follow their lead, but you know, mm-hmm. participate in this work, right? So I started kind of dabbling in that, and more and more, some of those mentors started saying, "We need you to be more vocal about your testimony uh, because we're trying to ignite a similar kind of journey in other white folks." Right. Um, to not only have this awakening, but to continue to kind of examine the structure of white supremacy, to think about it theologically, to look at the power dynamics of this, to look at the personal interrogation of how kind of the white identity, especially the white Christian identity, is just complicated, right? Because we're trying to root ourselves in who we are in Christ, but it's all mixed in with the messaging of white supremacy, right? So yeah. um, so I started more and more trying to be vocal about my own journey, um, and these mentors more and more started like utilizing that. And so it actually came to a point, I remember asking, you know, I, 
in fact, even sharing. I promised God I would never <laughs> be writing about this. Now you're telling me to write blogs and like, you know, pieces on this. Why should I do this? And I'll never forget kind of what some of those mentors said. They said there's kind of a negative reason and a positive reason, but both are reasons why you should. And the negative, and I think this is an important name. This is something we still hear all the time in white spaces. Yeah. In fact, everywhere I go, this is, this is something that leaders of color kind of still lament about. But, but you hear this all the time. Um, just frankly, white people don't listen to people of color yeah. at the same level they mm-hmm. listen, particularly black people, right? Like. Yeah. Uh, um, a black person can say twice as thoughtfully and intelligently as a white person. Um, in in most white audiences, it's going to be the white person that this is listened to. Yeah, right, so that's a heavy reality. That's one that I still lament. Um, is true. And please feel free to jump in on this time. I'm not like trying to get to jump. Oh, no. Do you want to say anything even on that? Because you're both like vigorously shaking your heads right now. Should we stop that there for a, a second? That could be a whole episode. So that's why I'm afraid to even say anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway. Yeah, same here. Same here. here. And then yeah. uh, I'll keep uh, going. Yeah, just just like I, I concur, you know, yeah. 100%. Um, and and the pro- there's problems with that and, and, and there's this truth around that, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, maybe we should. Yeah. So that, I mean, that, that that's, if I can just kind of real time to do an anecdote, I was at, um, I'm trying to say if I should say the university, it was, it's a very conservative Christian university was there right before COVID stuff happened. Um, I was brought in. Uh, so yeah, this would have been um, over Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, right? And so mm-hmm. I used to feel funny about being a white guy speaking in MLK weekend. But you know, we've internally talked about that, right? And when we're in an all white space, why sometimes it actually makes more sense for a white person to go first, right? Yeah. Not have to subject a black person to that so i was at this university um for this and then i was lecturing at the um liberal at the uh, humanities class which of all their classes there i thought that would have been most open to it so we were talking about the nature of white supremacy from a biblical lens and there was a white student there she was so visibly shaken by the stuff we were talking about she finally just blurted out in the middle of the lecture she said fine maybe white supremacy was real at one point but can you prove it's real right now like nobody could prove it's still real it's like, well, actually, I don't think it's very hard to prove at all, right? I mean, you can basically pick any <laughs> index, right? We can look at education. We can look mm-hmm. at economic disparities. We can look at housing. We can look at incarceration rates. We can look at police brutality, right? Like, we can pick any one of the indexes and show how white supremacy is real. And she clearly wasn't looking for an answer. She was visibly getting shaken. She's, and instead of trying to rebut the logic of that, she blurted out. And this is in the middle of her whole, whole class. She goes, why are you even here? Mm. And then she got up and stormed out. And so I was talking to... Um, the guy who had brought me in, African-American guy that was the head of the DNI, D, diversity, inclusion, and equity at this. And right, and it's usually a black person in these white institutions mm-hmm. is leading, yeah. usually a black woman, actually. But in this case, it was a black guy. Mm-hmm. And I was apologetic. I thought perhaps that was contrary to what they were hoping would happen at this. And he said, no, no. He said, I'm so glad. He said, this is my life. Like when I say something like this. I actually can't produce that response because they dismiss me so quickly, right? right? He's like, I know that same student would have said, here's just another black person who's had a hard life and is blaming white people on it, yeah. right? Yeah. He's like, but she wasn't able to utilize the traditional trope that she has for that and dismiss right. you as quickly. So she looked for the next one and couldn't find it. So that's literally what she had to do. She had to like blow up and like walk out of the room. He's like, but that that's what we're trying to instigate here, right? Yeah. We're trying to bring yeah. white people to the end of their senses so they can like deal with this stuff, right? So, so I, I agree. I think that could almost be its whole conversation. Like that's the most tenuous part of this work for me is like consistently trying to be cautious of, am I stepping into spaces I shouldn't be stepping into? Am I... Am I talking where somebody else should be talking? Am I actually usurping what we're trying to do with this podcast, which is to be listening in <laughs> to yeah. the voice that should be leading us? But that's a long way coming back to that was the first reason what my mentors would continue to say is, um, yeah, it's it's a sucky reality that's true, but white folks will listen to white folks in a way that's different. So especially when you'll do it under us where we're kind of sending you in and saying, you, you do the first shot of this. 
And they said the second reason, the more positive, they said, you know, we're not white. We don't understand where white people get hung up. And so we think there's something redemptive about you being able to articulate for yourself yeah. where you got caught up and what were the defensiveness, that, you know, what forms of defensiveness came up for you and how did you find your way through those? How did you learn to develop the strength and resiliency to stay in this? They said, we, you know, we think there's valuable for you to share kind of from your own story. Yeah. And so that I, I kept telling them, but God, I promised God, they're like, well, did God tell you that or did you promise God? Because now we're telling you <laughs> right. what we think you should do. So God speaks in different ways. So that so that's how I kind of shifted from God, I promise I'll never write on this to, all right, God, I think I mean, I'm always going to listen to the voices of mentors and the community I'm in, and that's and that's I guess something I always want to publicly say. The minute I don't, the minute you all tell me I shouldn't be doing this anymore, I'm out, right? Like I'm not trying to make a career out of talking to white people about whiteness, right? I'm trying to be in there, I'm trying to be in it for a moment to, you know, kind of play whatever role within the larger collective of this. So yeah, that's that's some of the background that's led to these two books. So I want to go back to your first. I'm sorry. I was about to interrupt too. I was going to ask a question. Please go ahead. So. Uh, like you, like I, I, what I, what I appreciate your mentors asking you to do is give a testimony to mm-hmm. it. Um, have like the others have ventured to create books and um, um, content like this, um, not utilizing a testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do you think the difference is between the two when you utilize a testimony to be the like kind of like baseline for creating your content versus? Yeah, secondhand. Kinda. It's, it, this is a thread that's come up in a couple of our conversations, and this is another one where like real time tagging things we maybe should talk about in the future. Um, but we've had this conversation about how white people shouldn't lead the conversation, mm-hmm. right? We've talked about this in a couple of our earlier episodes, um, and I think that's something we strongly believe, right? That white people should not be leading the charge or leading the process of deciding how white supremacy gets challenged, how it gets uprooted, how it gets dismantled, mm-hmm. and then actually. That's something I believe. I think we believe that. But that's something that creates a lot of confusion for white folks because they hear mixed messages. Um, A lot of times what white folks hear is, hey, you all created, you all need to fix it. Right. Right. Which I think there's something to that one too, right? But it has to be coupled with this kind of, and I think we're really talking about leading in this case, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's one more manifestation of white supremacy, right? To where you like 10% wake up to this thing and then you think you're qualified to – Decipher the answers, right? And pres- you know, accurately prescribe what the problem is and figure out what the answers are, right? And so there's this there's this balance in there that even now I don't know if you maybe want to speak into that, but I guess that's my thought. Like testimony talks about how I'm waking up to my complicity with this right. and trying to line right. myself up to be part of the collective led by those who see it most clearly. But I've never once and this is not trying to brag, but it's the truth. I've never once tried to lead this conversation. I never plan on ever leading this conversation, right? Like I'm trying to position myself to get as free as I can from the grips of white supremacy and then join the collective of those who are following Christ to try to uproot this thing. Amen. Amen. I mean, it points back to something that's come up in every, all of the previous episodes and it's posture. Yeah. Um, and so obviously you are human and you're subject to all the frailties and insecurities that yeah. all of us are. Um, so I say that balanced against the fact that you always posture yourself in that way. And I think one of the reasons why um, the way you approach the conversation <clears throat> in White Awaken and White Lies when people have the opportunity to read it is is by telling your story you make yourself the sacrificial lamb Mm -hmm. um you you expose the truths the blind spots the deficiencies the harm you've caused others Mm -hmm. right um the harm done to you and the healing that you've experienced and it helps white people to see themselves Mm -hmm. um and so it's different when a black person is trying to show white people white supremacy through our black lived experience it's very different when a white person is showing white supremacy through their lived experience Mm -hmm. you can't argue against that Mm -hmm. right it's 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 irrefutable Mm -hmm. or, or irrefutable Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the word? You got it. Irrefutable. Irrefutable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, 
But I wanted to go back to the first point that you were making um, about, and again, it could absolutely be a standalone episode about white people um, not being comfortable with um, listening to black people mm-hmm. on topics where they are the subject matter experts. <laughs> yes, <yeah. laughs> Isn't that something? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah because I, I, I mean, generically, white folks don't think they're not subject matter experts. On anything. But I think that probably doesn't need to be named, right? Yeah, yeah like yeah. That, that should be so obvious, but I'm not sure it is obvious for yeah. those yeah. yeah, I mean, one of the things we talk about a lot privately, but haven't touched on in the podcast yet, is, um, and the thought literally just left me. Oh my God. Uh, a very important thing that we need to be talking about. We talk about all the time. The devil, it, was. it was the devil, it was right it there. He snatched it. He doesn't want me to say it. it. Um, well, bounce back to Brandon, because we were talking about this idea of white people not listening to black. Oh, you got it back yeah, again. Yeah, no, it'll come back to me, but I'll go back to the original point, because that was a, a tangent. Um, I wanted to go back to how. Um, White people don't listen to black folks. And I wanted you to use, I want us to use that as an opportunity to talk about why we're doing the Listen In podcast, right? That's one of the reasons why we're at this right. table in the first place. Right. It's because we approach this table with the awareness that most white people don't listen to black people, right. even mm-hmm. on things where they're subject matter experts. Right. Because of the amount of time that we've been doing this work together and in a number of uh, places in the marketplace and churches, et cetera, we've seen the resistance to listen to black voices. Yes. And so the painful truth is that sometimes um, we strategically position Daniel to lead us into conversations. Yeah. It's the truth. Yeah, to, right? valid, to validate our voices. Absolutely. That ultimately wouldn't be validated. Um, yeah. It's sad. It's sad. But mm-hmm. it's yeah. true. And we tell the truth mm-hmm. at this table and on listening podcasts. So talk a little bit, though, about why this podcast is important um, as a response to that particular issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. So th- the work I've done in you know White Awake and White Lies is trying to do some of the pre-work that um, you, you know, there, there's a number of characteristics. I never want to generalize, certainly even within the white community. There's a lot of different experiences, but there tend to be these general themes of how we come at it. So one of the themes that tends to be true for a lot of us is, um, I'll say it like this, for most of us who are white who now care to some degree about the problem of race and racism, we can point back to that moment, that light bulb moment yeah. where we went from complete apathy, complete ignorance to like something happened, right? We saw something happen to a friend, something happened in the world. We read something, we heard a talk, but most of us can talk, it's, it's even called, often called this light bulb moment, right? right? right. Um, I think it's good that we remember those as part of our story where those of us are white tend to confuse that is we often think the what light bulb moment is like the end of the story. Like that's where I move from apathy to now becoming some kind of an ally or accomplishment like that instead of realizing like, no, that's actually day one. Like when the light bulb comes on, that's the very beginning of the journey. And there's actually gonna be a lot of stages in between day one and where you're actually ready to position yourself to actually have the resiliency and courage and stamina and like sense of knowledge of history of whiteness and stuff like that. Um, and so that's where I've, I'm trying to do a lot of the work is to name some of the stages that come with that and some of the defensiveness that comes with that. Um, once somebody can get to the point where, once a white person gets to the point where it's like, no, there's a deep conviction that white supremacy is a problem, that it, it manifests itself in these systems and structures that has to be just attacked on every front, whipped up, brewed on every front. That's the point where I see like this 
being so critical to listen in. Uh, um, you know, I actually think there can be a role for white folks working with white folks in those early stages where it's like trying to break break us free, you know, help us liberate. Because that, that could be dangerous to black folks and other, you know, like that's a lot of work listening to white folks confess their racism over and over and over again as they start to get free from mm. this stuff. Um, that's the part, again, you guys can check it. We talk about this all the time too, but you might have different thoughts in the moment on this. You know, that's where I think there can be value in white kind of specify kind of stuff. In fact, I've been seeing on social media a lot right now, there's the debates about when, in fact, you posted something um, just about this, Brandon, but yeah, uh, yeah we, you can maybe talk about that. Of uh, so, so anyway, I, I'm just trying to say like, that's the point in those early stages where I can see there being kind of a white caucus kind of feel almost where white folks are doing white folks work. Um, when it comes to the idea of like beginning to take on the systems of race, to begin to like, Evaluate, like you all know, for me, like one of the really important things, like I don't want to take on white supremacy at any level without being authorized by you all first. Like I, I like literally want you all to send me into it, whether it's within the church, whether it's outside of the church. Um, but I don't ever, I'm not going to ever get to a point where I feel like I can self validate for myself that mm -hmm. I'm the right one to take on this task in this way. Yeah. Um, so I guess just to say this part, frankly, I think it's dangerous when white folks feel the liberty to take on race by themselves. That's mm -hmm. the bottom line. Yeah. And that's where I feel like that's where especially listening becomes critical is understanding what we're up against. Like we as white people just can't see it clearly enough, even when we want to. We need help to see it clearly. We need help to see where we're helpful and where we're dangerous. Uh, we need to, we need help to like accurately prescribe what the problem is. We need help to know like how does it feel when white folks show up in this. Um, mm -hmm. And like that's where I just don't know how you would continue on in this journey without listening to thoughtful leadership. Yeah. Sidebar question, I guess. Um, what do you think causes white folks who, who, would, who would argue, um, who, who would agree with you that like you know, white supremacy is a legit issue and it's something that you all need to address, but still have a hard time hearing from people of color on how to navigate that issue. So it not unlike the young lady that at the university who, you know, just yeah, stormed, out, yeah, stormed yeah. out and stuff like that. But someone who would say like, yeah, I agree with you, Daniel. Like white supremacy is a real issue. I, I want to see this stuff move. Um, but then when black folks communicate the exact same thing you communicate, they shut down. Yeah. Like, um, what, what, what do you think is happening there with someone's already signed on to the mission? Um, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think? Why do you think that is? I'm going to check in with Empress Shamika right now to make sure we can go in this direction because okay. that's that that, that um, that's actually where we're eventually going in this episode. Okay. is kind of talking about yeah. like the posture, so I, we can turn there if we want now. But uh, uh, you laughing at me? Well, she's a show host. We got to follow her lead. <laughs> yeah. I am laughing because he literally called me Empress Shamika <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, so yeah, for all you get, if, you, you don't get to be you don't get to be here until until, until the until the record button starts. We're, but we are telling the truth. Though. Yeah, that, this is a place where we tell the truth. Uh, this, this this yeah, Shamika is the is the is the the sun that this 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 podcast orbits around right? so, uh, the production crew the, the, yeah the ladies producers. do you hear that yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's the way it should be it's the way it should be um we can yes we can go in that direction all right. He didn't want to. He was <laughs> Does it ever matter what I want when we close the door? Yeah, you kind of leave that at the door. It's like whatever Shamika says, we do. So, uh, uh, so we're there now. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the part where I, I think it would be great for us to like all jump back in on this. So, in White Lies. Um, the book is organized around nine practices, right? Um, and again, White Awake is designed more for the white person who's really contending with race for the first time. White Lies is really designed for the white person who's begun to develop a deep conviction that white supremacy is real and that we need to all be kind of playing our parts, uproot it. So the first practice is stop being woke. Yeah. 
And um, I, I really struggle with the word in that chapter because p- people are all over the map with this word woke. Like some people really embrace and like it. Some people like that's actually a mocking term, like, you know, mm-hmm. like right from the bat. So I, I'm not at all trying to suggest that um, everybody, univ- that all white people universally like the word woke and that all white people universally are trying to position themselves as woke at a specific level. I'm not trying to say that even though that word is probably on its way of going out, something will replace it because it's describing a human desire that's timeless. Um, And that's what I think is important for us to discuss. Um, And I think that's the ultimate answer from my perspective to your question. Mm -hmm. Um, when When it comes to those of us who are white, and some of this is just probably a human condition, but I think some of this is wrapped up in the way the the culture of whiteness works. Um, we, if the starting point is that we've been thought of as racist or uh, uh, ignorant to this, we, we we are looking for the fastest path from <laughs> racist and uh, ignorant and apathetic to established, affirmed, mm. credentialed in this work, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I mean, it doesn't matter where I go. It doesn't matter if it's Christian or not Christian. It doesn't matter if it's highly educated. When it comes to people who are starting to engage with race, th- there is something that burns inside of the white psyche that says, I need to get to high ground as fast as I can, right? I need to join the ranks of those who have been designated as effective allies, the the people who get it, the ones who are on the right side of these are the kind of terms that you hear. And and even, and oftentimes it's not at a conscious level, but it just burns inside of us. We want to get to that established place as quickly as possible. Mm. So I think there's a lot of reasons why that's dangerous, but to get to the question you're asking, like, how did you say it? Like, why do white folks... Um, not listen to not, people to yeah. people of color, even though they join the ranks. They're, even they're they join the ranks. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think it's a bad. It's it's just one more manifestation of pride. But I think there's there's this weird distortion of pride, one of the many forms of pride that says if I have to keep humbling myself, and we don't say it just like this, but this is the naked way of saying if I have to keep humbling myself and always have to listen to leaders of color before I can do anything. Then that means I've not arrived. Yeah. Right. I have not arrived for as long as mm. I have to listen to the lead of other people. Mm. And so until I'm competent and can stand on my own two feet and know what to do with this, I've not arrived. Mm. So therefore, I, 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 it's almost like even if I in this, you see this, actually, they'll start out in the right way. Right. They don't understand. And they're constantly asking their black friends. Right. Yeah, yeah. But then they outgrow that very quickly. And there's this kind of sense of now I can stand on my own two feet. And right, uh, right. Um, uh, I, I, I think it was our law who used that term, you know, who does breakthrough urban ministries here in, 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 in Chicago. But independent angels of change mm-hmm. um, being the sense where I'm I've arrived, I'm, I'm smart enough on this time, established enough around race stuff that I can attack the issue on my own. On my own yeah. Right. That yeah. my. That my merit, so that that my intelligence, yeah. that my capacity is high enough, and so so it's it's twisted to the degree where it's like the thing that we sense as self validation is actually literally the most dangerous thing to the movement. But we tend to be out of tune with that. Mm. I think. Yeah, since the last two episodes, I've been thinking a lot about individuality, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and quite frankly, just trying to think about ways that we could um, develop an episode around white individuality and mm-hmm. how it's a theme across so many issues with yeah. whiteness. Yeah. But hearing you talk about that right now is making me think about the importance of interdependence in this right. work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's not a word that I hear as much as I think I would like to hear. Yeah. Um, to explain how we all need to be doing this work. But yeah. right now we're particularly talking about white people. None of us ever arrive at a point a point of complete autonomy and independence in anything that we're trying to accomplish, but especially around systems of race and white supremacy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it breaks the rehabilitative process too, like to right. go into the space of like saying like spend a lifetime living this way, a lifetime understanding these things this way, but I'm going to turn around in six months. Or right. I'm going to flip it over in a mm-hmm. year. Right. It's like, illogical. It's illogical. It doesn't yeah. make a ton of a ton of sense, especially when you have 
a world outside that cultivates the, yes. the broken way of thinking. Yes. Right. You know, um, yeah. so yeah, it's just it's it's dangerous for for white folks to engage mm-hmm. that way, right. um, and it can I think be a hindrance to their longevity in the fight. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. oftentimes it is. I think. So, yeah. yeah. This is a good point to take a break to tell you about some resources and organizations we appreciate. We encourage you to check out White Lies, a resource that shares nine spiritual practices that can help you continue to engage in this important work of racial justice. Please visit whitelisbook.com to order it everywhere that books are sold. Alfred D. Witt Art is a social impact consultancy that we love. I am the founder and principal consultant, so I'm obviously biased. Nevertheless, Alfred DeWitt Art is a social impact consultancy that works with a cross-section of people and organizations to advance racial equity in communities, enterprises, and systems. Visit us at Alfred DeWitt Art to learn more about our work and contact us to work together to help you or your organization advance racial equity. We also love Jade Productions. If you run a small or mid-sized business and want to increase customer engagement through your marketing channels, such as social media, then get in touch with Jade Productions. That's J-J-A-E-D Productions. They can create beautiful video solutions for your business. You can reach them online at www.jadeproductions.com. Welcome back to this week's dynamic and candid conversation with Shamika, Brandon, and Daniel. Yeah, one of the things, and this might be interesting for, I think we've mentioned this before, but our, our audience might kind of be interested in this. So coming on the heels, right? I mean, we, we had such a horrible uh, late winter, early spring in the United States around mm-hmm. racism, right? And we've talked about some of this around some of the more public deaths of and killings, Maude Arbery and Breonna Taylor. There's We did a episode on Christian Cooper, Amy Cooper, of course, George Floyd. But so in our church, all the non-black groups started caucusing every week from that point forward. And we've continued yeah. to be doing yeah. that throughout the summer, right? So our white folks get together on Tuesday nights, our Asian American AAPI communities getting together on Monday nights, the Latinx group on Friday nights, talking about white supremacy, anti-blackness. But this was just last night from kind of when we're recording this. Um, in the White Cox, we were actually talking about this very idea of um, the, the, the need to continue to resist the pride that would allow me to think that because I go to this church now or I've got a couple of black friends or whatever the thing would be, that that establishes me as somebody yeah. who can operate in their own on this kind of stuff. So again, I, and I really, I think so often, it's we, we don't need new language. We need to go back to the language we've always believed in the Bible. So we went back to this notion of identity of, in Christ, mm-hmm. yeah. right? That like the most whole and complete and healthy identity for all of us is one of the most deeply rooted in the love of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. You used, in a coaching session we did today, Shamika, you, 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 told, you told the young lady that she needs to relish in the love of Christ, mm-hmm. right? That that's the basis for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it is in this work, so some Somebody said, well, okay, help me apply that to this notion of dealing with the lie of white supremacy. And so I said, if your identity, if the way you think of your identity is I need to be able to say before God and community, I'm completely free of right. white supremacy. Like if your notion of identity is dependent on being able to say I'm completely free, then it's going to make sense that you're pursuing whatever version of the word woke you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Right. But you're going to intensely be pursuing this notion right. that um, 
wherever that high point is, I just got to get there as fast as I can. But when can I actually show that I'm free of yeah. lie, white supremacy? Like, if your identity requires that, like you're like you have no chance. Like literally, you have no chance in this work, yeah. right? Because what's actually needed is to go deeper and deeper into the lie, right? To come back to, we talked about this before, um, and you were the one who gave that for my own um, reflection, Shmika, of Psalm 139, when mm-hmm. um, in the same Psalm where David reflects on. In my mother's womb, I was fearfully knit and made together, right? Mm-hmm. In the same psalm where he's reflecting over and over and over on the reality of the Mago Day of how beautiful he is in God's eyes, he finishes by saying, so search me, O Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Examine, my, examine me for any offensive ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So they're not contradictory to say that I'm beloved by God and delighted in by God and that I've got dangerous things that live inside of me, right? right? right. So the way we talked about it at our caucus last night is just assume that there's just all kind of shrapnel inside of you yeah. from the lies of white supremacy. Right, like you just right. have to assume that. You don't ever outgrow that. What you do is you continue on a transformational process where more and more shrapnel gets removed from you. Yeah. And I think that this is where it has to be flipped. For a lot of people, it feels tiring and fatiguing and defeating to just say, I'm always going to be the one who doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to be able to see it all quite clear. That is mm-hmm. what I'm never going to be totally. As opposed to saying, like, that's liberative to like have shrapnel removed from you that's yeah. killing you. That's liberative, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you may not have it all removed but until you're with Jesus someday in heaven. But like, that doesn't mean we don't keep, keep piece by piece. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, keep saying, yeah. Lord, help reveal where there's still impact of the lie. Like, right. that's, that's really the only chance you have as a white person in this kind of work is to have that kind of a view of who you are in Christ. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm still stuck on interdependence and the first point that we were making because for the people that um, I've seen you interact with in person and people who interact with you um, through comment sections across social media, people you interact with when you do presentations and speaking engagements um, outside of the church, one of the things that they most comment on is how grateful for they are for their ability to see the way God is working in your life in this particular area, yeah. right? Yeah. And in response to that, your response is consistent no matter where you are, and you talk about your interdependence on us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You always say, if we're with you, you'll say it. When we're not with you, you say mm-hmm. it. In order for this forum to exist, you had to be at the table to get some folks to listen. Otherwise, there's some listeners who listen to our podcast who would not be listening mm-hmm. if you did not invite them, mm-hmm. right? If you were not at the table too. Let's say you weren't at the table and you still extended the invitation through social media channels, they probably wouldn't listen in because you aren't at the table. Even though you consistently say verbally in writing, Everywhere you go, that I am where I am because of these people here. Mm, right. It's one of the most fascinating things that I've witnessed over the last six years. Yeah, mm. I, I think it's a struggle to admit the degree to which they've been bamboozled. Like, the, the, think of how big the lie is like, that you have to embrace. Like, your entire life, everything you have, everything you've earned, everything that you supposedly inherit um, is now in question. Mm. Like, everything you understood the world to be, every single thing from, from the very foundation of America, right? All mm. of that is in question. All mm. of it. And like, it's not just like for for us, it's like, it's it's in question as to how other people perceive us and how like, like we don't have any, any illusions, disillusionment or illusions as to like what America is or isn't, Mm -hmm. you know, and what it's been to us. Mm -hmm. Um, But for white folks to actually admit to the lie. Mm-hmm. They will have to. Yeah, they will have it's to like understand a, it's a America. thread that you have to keep pulling. It unravels so much. It unravels so much. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, scary, it yeah. so much. it's, uh, yeah. it's interesting because like you you have you you're, you have to hold the country accountable. You have to hold our nation accountable. All the all the stories that's been told. Like mm-hmm. uh, my policies have to be accountable. And you've been duped all this time. Um, I, I, I like I'm like I, I'm curious as to like 
like I, I get to see you wrestle with it, and it's like it's one person that I get to re- re- see that mm-hmm. in an intimate way. Um, and I see you wrestle with it daily. I see you engage us on a regular basis, whether it's through text threads or conversations or whatever we're doing, and like hanging out, even just even here on a podcast. And I don't know how many people have spaces like that where right. they can pull that pull at that yarn over and over again, right. and and be vulnerable and be exposed and after being exposed still be embraced and loved and still be able to say like I have a community that still loves me despite the fact that yeah. like you know I'm, I'm revealing some ugly stuff about myself and about my history and about my my community you mm-hmm. know my hope though is that people and particularly like followers of Christ could be excited about being delivered from bondage yeah freedom absolutely right yeah. so even if there was a thing that was monstrous and I'm, I'm finally seeing it and, and I never saw it before this monster in my space in my life but to know that I can be free from it is yep. one thing and then to have a picture of what that freedom could look like is another thing another I would thing. be running towards liberation toward liber- liberation but that's the thing. I think the Daniel touched on it too. Like people are running towards liberation, but they they want the facsimile of uh, liberation or the appearance of liberation, yeah. um, or to be there to be able to self authorize. Yeah, what the liberation yeah. process yeah. looks like. That's yeah. not liberation at all. Is the point? Right. You want to say more on that because I think I actually think that's the key thing. Right. There's hardly anything in life that you can do alone well. Right. Successfully. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is no exception. Right. Absolutely. Being delivered from white supremacy is no exception. You need black people. That's it. No. That's the bottom <laughs> <No>. line. <laughs> we need each other. Well, and this is that, that word liberation is an interesting one to kind of use in this because um, uh, there's a consistent reaction that happens both in white individuals and white corporations. It's actually interesting how similar people are both at individual and corporate level. Mm-hmm. But when you live in an all, when you discover that you live in an all white world, which is most of us, right? Um, um, Dr. Beverly Tatum says 85% of white people don't have a single meaningful relationship with a person of color in their entire social network, which is just a staggering statistic. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Sure so, I mean, is. most of America, uh, like w- people like me are not in any kind of, you know, like this is totally atypical, right? Um, uh, so, anyway, I was saying that if once a white person and a white corporation and a white church, for that matter, discovers that their world is all white, always the thought is, well, we should diversify, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, we should not be in an all-white world, right? And so even at an individual level, that's what we do. Like, that's the, the first instinct of a white person who is wanting to engage this is to start, like, there's actually a lot of white people who believe what you just said. They think they believe that. I want to have a, I need black people in my life, Yeah, but right? you want to know what the problem is, though? Yeah, tell us. When you all say that you want to diversify, you want black people to come to you. Oh, and, right. and on your terms. Yeah, get out of and here. on your terms, yeah. How many, I don't know, any white pastor... <laughs> pastoral staff white person on pastoral staff who comes to that awakening and then closes their church and goes and joins a black church you never hear that story never. in my life no, and no, i've been right. in church my whole life and right. i'm a woman of a certain age right that's the What's problem age, by the way I ain't <laughs> no, <telling> no, <laughs> you heard him say empress, empress. that implies a certain age um but yeah that's the problem and so it trips me out. You literally, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm a white supremacist. I've cultivated a white supremacist environment. I've built a, 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 a model, whether it's a business model or a church model steeped in white supremacy. Come, black people. <laughs> you're <What>? welcome. <laughs> this, yes. is, this is your new home. <laughs> Why do I yeah. want to come over there? Right. I'm like fighting out here. You want me to come yes. and like spend my discretionary time? Thank you. Can, can we make this a teaser for the next one? Because I think we should go all the way in on this. What okay. I'd love, if you're all right with it, I'd love to. It's still the same theme, but I'd love to talk. We're, that's starting to really take in the church level and the corporate level of of which I think is a super important conversation. Um, 
I actually think there's a lot of individual application for white folks too to what we've been talking about here today. Um, when that when that seeming light bulb comes on, mm-hmm. I'm in an all white world. I need some black friends now. I'm learning to ask why. Right. Why do you need some black friends right now? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's it's not a very processed. I need some black friends because I don't have any black friends. <laughs> I need some black friends because if I'm woke again, that may not be the word. But there's whatever the word is. I'm the one who gets it. I'm on the right side. There's these different synonyms. Um, the woke white people has black friends, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I need to be kick it with the friends that aren't just my white. Right. <laughs> right I'm like right. that ain't a good enough reason. No. That ain't a good no. enough reason. Um. In in pushing. And so here's what. Now here, here, I don't think any white. I've not yet heard a white person name why they. Should should do it on their own. They need. We need help. Right. And I think it's tied to this word liberation. Yeah. I think it's tied to this yeah, word liberation. Yeah. I think. I think until we as white folks see that we are in the bondage of this lie, mm-hmm. and that only our black friends could be the ones to actually even help us, which then gets into a whole conversation. How do you set that up? But if I just stick to this for a minute, I, tell me if what you've got. I'm not sure if we've talked about this. I don't. I don't see a good reason for wanting black friends if your starting point as a white person is not I'm in bondage to the lie and I need help with my liberation journey. What do you think about that premise that, that I'm saying? That's a lot to unpack. (laughs) Um, But one of the first things I'm thinking about, though, is just so I have when I think about I have a a ethnically diverse group of friends. Right. However, if I just think about my black girlfriends, Mm -hmm. we are not all the same. Mm -hmm. And so the reason why I have a group of black girlfriends who are not like me is because I want to be around people who are different than me, Mm -hmm. who see the world different from me, who solve problems in a way that's different than the way that I would solve a problem, I grow, I learn, I'm better, right? There are people constantly in my blind spots because we're just not all the same, right? right? Similarly, that's how we should be seeking out relationships across racial and ethnic lines. And so in a generic way, that would be my answer to that question. But this conversation about um, needing black people so that you can um, enjoy liberty um, makes me think about a definition of liberty that we used in the first episode. I don't know how you two feel about it, but I'll refer to it and you can tell me. It's amazing how you, re- you remember. And she remembers definitions. Like, there like are yeah, so many of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, um, this is the Tony Evans one. It right? is the Tony that. Evans yeah. one. I really uh-huh. like it, though. He defines it as release from illegitimate bondage yeah. so that you can create or become who you were redeemed to be. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Again, interdependence. Right. You're you were you are created to be more than um, a person in bondage to whiteness. And the only way to experience that. Right. Is to be released from this bondage. But you need people. But you were going to say something, too. No, no. I think like I think it's around those lines. The reason why you need people is that like the scriptures like clearly articulate bondage in this, like especially bondage to sin in this way of like blindness and deafness. Like this, right. these senses are like dull. There's something wrong right. with your senses. You're not seeing the world right. You don't see it right. You don't hear right. it right. Um, and, and I think about that as like, and he, he also paraphrased like the blind leading the blind. And you hear, right. you hear these narratives, these stories of like folks who are in bondage telling you how to get free, right? right. Like, how, like, like how can the blind lead the blind? Right. Like why? Why are you waiting right, for right, another right. white person to right, tell right. you how to be free from white supremacy? Right. When they're the one when right, they're right, in bondage right, just right, as much right. as you are, that's right? right? That's getting and, right. And so, so that's that's the, so like like I see this on a spiritual level that like there's this this dulling of the senses, and there are ways that we see that others don't, right? And like as Shamika is saying, like she got these friends like that are diverse, this diverse group of friends, largely because they attack problems in a different way. They see the world, they have different right. worldviews, and those inform her worldview, and it help her navigate a world that may be um, like disorienting or unknown to her, you mm-hmm. know. And, and I think the same thing applies to white folks. Is that like like if you if if, if you truly want to get free, you need other people who have, who who can see the world differently than you can. Right? Who can? Because because if if we're saying white supremacy is the bondage that we're saying it is, yeah, there is no way you can see your way out out of it from the inside. Right. There is no way you can see a way out of it from the inside. Right. And, and 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 
and and because of the power that's around it, it's it's not only are you inside, right. it has a force field around it. Right. And so like you need someone that's will, that's going to be willing to penetrate that force field, willing to pull you out of it, willing to drag you out right. of that uh, space to to say to you like you're not seeing this right, you're not hearing this right, and you need someone with a different worldview to do that um, and be able to articulate it in a way that you may not hear it otherwise. You know. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't see how you do that. Like it, the the way is the way it's going. Like if you you stay in these enclaves, like it, it is literally the blind leading the blind. There would be no uh, there can, there can be no growth for white folks if if, yeah. if unless they are able to get some voices to penetrate yeah. that. Yeah. Thanks for both checking in on that. I guess what, what where where I was going with that whole thing, and I mean learning how to even think about this better and describe it better even as we're talking about it. But if I was going to try to kind of bottom line, I think generally speaking, those of us who are white have a completely backwards of what's the right way to enter into multi-ethnic community mm-hmm. or to like enter into friendships where we're trying to be with black folks. What I see over and over again, this is this is the unspoken but very powerful script that's inside most people's head. They're said, they say, if I'm going to be able to be a legit friend with a Brandon or with a Shamika, I got to show them on day one that I get it. Right, right. I got to show right. them that I'm, right. I'm on the right side of this thing. Like mm-hmm. I'm woke, right? Maybe not that term woke, but whatever the version like I got to show them I'm woke and I get it. And so from day one, I'm doing my best to show you that I belong right. in your space. Right? right. And that's where I think it's like literally 180 degrees off. Right. right. Um, where it's like, no, like what makes me trustworthy in you spaces is not that I'm a peer to you two in understanding the nature of white supremacy. Like that's not my lived experience. Right. What makes me trustworthy in your space is that I'm desperate to see the world in a different way. Like right. I'm desperate for the senses of mind that are dull to be sharpened and to experience it differently. Right. I'm desperate to discover where the blind spots are that I don't even know are there right. and where you can write. Right. And like, that's literally the exact, opposite of how most of us enter into it and i see that's pervasive i see that i see within our own church right yeah, that, yeah. that that's that that's the complete flip-flopped starting point is like how do i show my brothers and sisters that i get it that i'm woke right i'm like yeah. please like that's the first step of liberation right there like you need to accept the fact that this lie is so massive so far-reaching the basis for your love in this community acceptance is not that you've defeated it the basis for your love is you've accepted that that you are in bondage yes it's humility and and i think that's the the piece that it's very difficult for folks to get to we talk about every single episode like it's it's this posture of humility Mm -hmm. that requires you to say i am blind i cannot see i am in bondage i need to be set free and that you don't outgrow it and you just don't grow every time you see something you didn't used to see you see what you can't see, see in the exactly. next set right yeah exactly. so you don't graduate from that and, and that's that's foreign that's for f- us to yeah. embrace a permanent sense of humility in something like that it's foreign for who for white folks perhaps all of you people but in this realm yeah. of like to participate in multiracial communities multiracial coalitions I would go so far as to say that is the posture a white person must bring into it is that I'm embracing that blindness of sight permanently. There's a humility yeah. and interdependence that consistently is built on right. a sense of acknowledgement right. that I'm in bondage to this thing and I'll never see it fully without the help of... Community. Well, now that you've named that theme, it's reminded me of another definition. I'm thinking about pride, um, and it's a definition <laughs> that one of my Bible teachers, my former Bible teachers used, Chris Burge, um, but it's an elevated estimation of one's own opinion relative to the truth or relative to the word of God, mm-hmm. right? So if you're not a Christ follower, it's just relative to truth. And I always find that definition of pride to be particularly effective when I am talking to um, predominantly white audiences who are wrestling with historical facts related to race and white supremacy. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so that is just pride because you yeah. want to argue about a historical fact. I'm not going to expend energy yeah. there. But for the Christ follower, though, it's you elevating your opinion over what God has already said. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
So, but what you were just touching on, Daniel, is tied to the first practice in the book. So before we jump into that, and this is how we'll close out this episode, I want to name the or read the subtitle of your book. So the book is entitled White Lies, and the subtitle is Nine Ways to Expose and Resist the Racial Systems that Divide Us. So one of the first ways in the book is what we've been talking about. Tell us a little bit more about that practice or that way. The stop being woke. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the first yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm convinced that the posture of those of us who are white makes all the difference in this. And so it's yeah, summarizing what we've talked about in this session. I think that one of the most harmful and inconsistent things that we as white folks do is um, try to show up in multiracial spaces, proving to the leaders of color that we're peers, that, mm-hmm. that we get this and mm-hmm. we understand it now and we should be counted as, you know, legit thought leaders standing mm-hmm. up next to them, you know, and I think that undermines things over and over again. It just is just a different permutation of white supremacy. So I think that notion of, um, yeah, th- that's that, that's just one of the, you know, there's all kinds of privileges for white people to come with the system of whiteness and, you know, those can be expanded on forever, but that's one of the biggest deficits, one of the biggest liabilities, one of the even handicaps I would go as far to say is just when you have been conditioned in the system all of your life to not see the lie and to not see the pervasiveness and the impact of life, first on yourself, then in how you look at other people, then on the systems and structures of the world, like you said, you're not going to learn that in 10 minutes. You're not really going to learn in 10 years, right? That doesn't mean we don't keep pressing forward, but, um, yeah, yeah, you know, I started my twenties. A lot of us are starting even later than that, right? Yeah, it's 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 a lifetime journey to see just how far the lie goes, and so I think that 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 posture shapes every other practice. If you can't get yourself into a semi permanent posture of genuine embracing humility, genuine embracing an identity that says I want to be free, and part of that freedom means pulling the shrapnel of the lies of this thing out of me, and then participating in you know, coalitions and collectives that are led by people who understand this thing well. Yeah, I just, the the other ones don't really matter. That wraps up this week's episode. Thank you for listening to Listen In with Shamika, Brandon, and Daniel. Please subscribe to, comment on, and rate Listen In on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, follow us on Instagram at ListenInPod and join our Listen In Facebook group. Or you can write to us at hello at listeninpodcast.com. Have a great week.